0: This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Hey everybody, David Lissondack here, and welcome to a special edition of Body Talk. Uh, I know that you listeners have heard me say we're taking a little break for the month of August, but this was just too good to wait on because I have coming up is my guest, Dr. Paul Dupre, who is the director of the Center for Vaccine Research here at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, where I also work. And Paul is just a fantastic, fantastic guest. He got his PhD in molecular virology from Queens University, Belfast, uh, in the United Kingdom. Uh, He worked, uh, he came to us from uh, Boston, I believe that's the Boston University School of Medicine. And uh, he is a strong, believer that uh, the need for scientists to engage with the public and have meaningful conversations on the value of vaccines. Uh, He also tweets. So we'll have that in the show notes. We'll have some other things in the show notes. But uh, Paul made some time for me today. And uh, with the Delta variant on the rise and COVID kind of ramping back up, uh, this is just too important To wait till September. So I hope you all listen to and share this very special episode of Body Talk with Dr. Paul Dupre. Hi, and welcome to this special edition of Body Talk. And I'm very excited today to have as my guest from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, like myself, Uh, Dr. Paul Dupree who is the director of vaccine development and research. Dr. Dupree, welcome to the show. It's nice to be here. Nice to be chatting. Thanks. Yes, thanks for for making the time because it is very timely. The news out there is reporting a fourfold increase in COVID due to the Delta variant, which I want to ask you about. But first, Fourfold increased, what do those numbers actually mean? What kind of numbers are you seeing in terms of- Oh,
1: well, the easiest way to think about the numbers is I think in July, 50% of the country was reported to be infected with the Delta variant. And as of three or four days ago, it was 83%. So what you see is Mm -hmm. a dominant new variant basically pushing the existing- variance out and that's what we mean by these fourfold increases it's it's hard in people's minds because this is a constantly moving target right? right so that's a good way of thinking about it i can give you two dates mm-hmm. two time points yeah 50% at the start of july now we're at 80 83% towards the end of july
0: yeah and so that that's quite the increase
1: Yes, Delta variant is rather transmissible. There are a number of different reasons why that will be the case. Uh, Remember, it's not just about getting infected with a virus and the virus getting into you. It's about how, how well that virus replicates and grows in you. It's how well that virus reduces the immune system's defences that reduce its replication in you. And then it's about how it gets out and infects the, infects the next person. So it, it's complicated. It's not just about getting from one person to the other. It's about how well it replicates and grows in the people as well. And um, That's what we talk about. Fitness is the virus. Mm-hmm. fitter, And what you're seeing...
0: So With, this is this, this Delta variant is jacked, is
1: what you're saying. Well, it's just <laughs> it's a, it's able to outcompete the existing variants, which means as a virologist, we just call that fitter. Mm-hmm. It's it's more yeah. able to transmit.
0: And, and what makes it more highly transmissible?
1: So there's many reasons what will make a virus more highly transmissible, and the basic function that you should think about is if there's a lot more virus produced in an individual, then the stochastic, the random transmission into people who have not been infected already or have not been vaccinated already, that stochastic random likelihood of transmitting increases. Now Again, remember, this is a complex Mm -hmm. series of events whenever viruses transmit. Right. Uh, it's the proximity between people. So we so, talk about six feet of separation. You know, this is mm-hmm. not some magic number. It's just a good mm-hmm. distance for people to be right. apart where you. transmission is less, less likely to happen, but it's not a magic number.
0: Right. So in terms of this uh, increased transmissibility, so what you're saying is if you have the Delta variant, it increases your viral load as opposed to another variant. You're actually carrying more of the virus in you. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: and it doesn't mean that the original variant was really poor and it didn't transmit well. The original variant transmitted really quite well. As we see, it spread around the world uh, rather efficiently. But as we go from the original virus to the alpha, beta, gamma, Delta variants, what we see is some of those or many of those variants outcompete the previous one. And again, that's just because they're, as the virologist calls it, a little bit
0: fitter. Yeah, survival of the fins orders fins. of
1: magnitude better, but they are a little mm-hmm. bit
0: better. Okay. Well, since we're talking about transmissibility, that's, I'm going to get to a question I had for later, but let's do it now. Uh, a number... excuse me of the people who listen to my show are uh, do various forms of manual therapy hands-on therapy whether um, whether it's physical therapy or chiropractic or uh, are people who are also exercise physiologists fitness instructors and so on Um, the latest thinking was that this was entirely an aerosol event in terms of transmissibility Um, yet I know many people who are still wiping down all their flat surfaces, um, wearing protective eye cover. I mean, really going to the nines to, to really ensure that. Is, are these concerns with the Delta variant? Is it still totally aerosol? Or should we be um, sanitizing our doorknobs and such? What's your recommendation? You
1: have to remember that even though it's called a Delta variant, it's still the same virus. It's still SARS coronavirus 2. So the approaches that we have been using for quite some time—physical uh, distancing, masking—and you know the ultimate approach, mm-hmm. the best way to not end up in hospital, uh, the best way to not have the virus replicating out of control in you—that uh, is. Get vaccinated. That yeah. really is the mm-hmm. way that we reduce the likelihood. But there's other ways that we can reduce the likelihood of transmission, transmiss- transmitting the virus. Uh, that's where masks come in. That's where good hand washing comes in. All of mm-hmm. those, all of those good the basic practices, stuff. The, basic stuff. the basic stuff, and the basic stuff. Really, it's not a high end. Uh, novel vaccine, which was produced and uh, tested in record time. It's basically simple things that stop the likelihood of a virus transmitting from one person to the next. Uh, And those are equally useful uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of mitigating transmission. But of course, as I said already, there's nothing like the vaccine, not just to reduce the likelihood of you transmitting to the next individual, even though breakthrough infections are possible.
0: Mm-hmm. So, should people be worried about taking the fabric chairs out of their waiting rooms and putting in vinyl chairs because you can you can wipe them down with the disinfectant, or is that not necessary in your opinion?
1: I mean, this is this is where things get rather complicated. You have to decide based on your budget, I guess, whether or not that would be <laughs> mm-hmm. a useful um, a useful way to steward your resources. Yeah. Because what we know is, and I think the Australian example is a great example, it's very, very hard, even being a big island far away from many parts of the world, it's very hard to absolutely keep an infectious disease, a virus, out of circulation. What Australia were able to do is buy a little bit of time to get people vaccinated. Um, so I think you just have to be realistic in looking at all of this risk mitigation mm-hmm. and and basically say, yeah, if we had any amount of money, we could completely... Um, do everything virtually and take all the chairs out and, and mm-hmm. constantly be spreading spraying uh, the, the the workplace down with clorox, clorox. but, <laughs> Which but there comes a time whenever you just mm-hmm. have to say that you know what we cannot remove risks we we don't live in a risk-free world no, so therefore you would ask the question Um, Is it more dangerous to drive to my appointment or catch SARS-2 from a chair as I sit waiting for the appointment? Now, I would say, although I haven't done a risk assessment, but my Mm -hmm. common sense risk assessment says, if I drive 20 miles to my appointment, sitting on a fabric chair is the least of my worries, in terms of dying
0: okay that's that's an excellent way to look at it and of course if you're in because i know along the whole mississippi river there here in the united states um missouri alabama louisiana the, the numbers there are excessively high so if i lived in an area like that i might look at maybe taking some of those more extreme options if i was going to continue to, to worse, gonna work in a high risk uh job in a high-risk area. But let's go back to the most important thing, which is getting vaccinated in the first place. So some people I know still have some confusion about what an mRNA vaccine is and how it's different from traditional vaccines. So could you speak to that?
1: So messenger RNA is part of the process of information flow in the body, it's a really important bridge between the genetic material that makes us, that's called DNA, and the proteins that build us. So the genetic material inside us is DNA, that's the genome. The genome sends through genes, messages, hence messenger RNA. And those messenger RNA gets changed into the business end of biology. And the business end of biology really is proteins. Proteins have structure. Proteins have function. Proteins do things in your body. Proteins uh, break down the sugars in your body uh, and turn them into energy so that you can live. Proteins build our hair, uh, are part of our neurons, are mm-hmm. uh, integral in the cells of our body. And because viruses depend on a host, and viruses don't have all that beautiful, complicated machinery to make proteins because they're small parasites, mm-hmm. what a virus does is it can it basically grabs a ride in the host. It takes its genetic material and instead of having all this complicated machinery to make new viruses, it infects the cell. It buys into what people do, make proteins. It makes its own proteins and then it gets out of the cell and goes, infect someone else. So it's a little parasite. So, Back to messenger RNA, viruses have genetic material just like us. Some of the viruses have DNA genetic material, and they also produce messenger RNAs inside our cells if they infect us. And those messenger RNAs don't make human proteins, they make virus proteins. Okay. So what we do whenever we generate a messenger RNA vaccine is instead of injecting a person with a human messenger RNA, and remember, we're making messenger RNAs in our body all the time. time. Yeah. Instead of putting a human messenger RNA into the person, we take the messenger RNA that is changed into the spike protein. So what is the spike protein? Spike protein's that novelly thing that you see sticking out of those cartoons. And the yeah. spike protein is what the body's immune system recognizes mm-hmm. and makes antibodies against because that's what the virus looks like. So remember again, what a vaccine is. A vaccine is training your body to know what to expect with the pathogen, the virus, or the bacteria right. that you may meet in the future. So simply the messenger RNA is is put into your body. Your body is the vaccine factory. Your Mm -hmm. body behaves like a little vaccine factory. It makes the protein and that spike protein then gets recognized by your immune system and the antibodies begin to develop. And then we provide a booster four weeks or three weeks later And that just gets your body even better at recognizing the SARS-CoV-2 spike. And that means if you're on the bus in Pittsburgh and unfortunately someone beside you has an asymptomatic infection and you're not wearing a mask and they're not wearing a mask, even though you should be wearing a mask on the bus in Pittsburgh, and they transmit that to you, you're able to fight that infection. So very different way to make a vaccine.
0: So, so in essence, it's like you're saying, okay, as opposed to giving me a tiny dose of whatever it is, like more traditional vaccines, you're saying, here's the blueprint for this spike protein. If you see this, this is what you proteins have to build. Yes, Would that be accurate?
1: Yeah, and, and remember as well, we're still not giving a massive amount of RNA. We're giving a lot of it, but we're not giving anything like what's in, in the body normally because your body's constantly making this uh, biomolecule because your body's constantly making proteins. So even uh, though we put a decent amount in and we make a decent amount of proteins and we get a really good immune response and those antibodies are 94, 95% able to protect us from the infection, still is a very, very small amount required to give the immune response and that's why um, you you really look at the immune system and you think this is a really impressive system that we have evolved mm-hmm. uh, to take these tiny little uh, proteins, these tiny viruses, and to mount such a focused and uh, um, a- aggressive immune response against them so that we are ready, if it's a vaccine, to, to fight the, the actual virus if you meet, meet it in the wild, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Now, my understanding
0: is because some people are, well, this is a whole new way of doing vaccines. So I'm I'm not sure that, that I trust this. But my understanding is that the research behind developing these mRNA vaccine has been going on a couple of decades now. But this is just the first time one has actually been used. Is that accurate? Yeah. So
1: because of the information flow In your body. Scientists for a long time have been thinking of harnessing the genetic opportunities to make drugs, make biopharmaceuticals and now produce vaccines in a different way. So for example, there's a massive amount of research went into DNA vaccines. Remember I said we're made of DNA. Mm -hmm. So the idea was at the beginning Ah, if we take a DNA vaccine and we give people a DNA vaccine, because DNA gives us RNA and RNA gives us protein, this will be a great way to make vaccines. The DNA vaccines were not so exciting. Uh, they were not very efficient and they haven't been taken forward. Hmm. So, therefore, what happens is as people do the research, they pivot into the next molecule, messenger RNA. Messenger RNA really was tremendous. A lot of uh, people in the early days never would have guessed, uh, virologists like myself never would have guessed how effective uh, a messenger RNA vaccine would be. Uh, Where did that technology come from? Well, the Mm -hmm. thing about messenger RNA, it's very, very susceptible to getting broken down in your body. So there's been lots of work done into the delivery of these RNAs you just don't inject people with RNA because it would break down quite quickly. And if it breaks down quite quickly, then you don't be the factory that you want to yeah, be so to produce the protein. Uh, so there's a lot of research gone into co- coating the RNA with protective lipids so that it gets into your body after injection and then gets delivered to the cells in your muscles after you're uh, immunized and the proteins then are made at appreciable levels to give you this good good response. So RNA delivery is something we do in the laboratory all the time uh, in in my research program. And a lot of people looked at RNA and said, yeah, we could use this to produce proteins in people which would be potentially useful in cancer therapeutics or other, in other uh, non-infectious diseases. So what I think people have to remember is even though we've never had an RNA vaccine before, this just wasn't pulled out of the air. It never could have moved so quickly if this was so new that had no one knew how to deliver it. No one knew the safety kinetics and the profile of those things which wrapped up the RNA. In, in a different arena, if it hadn't been tested and understood a little bit in animals to begin with, RNA delivery, we just simply couldn't have got to the point of getting the vaccine made, that candidate vaccine made, getting it pre-clinically tested in animals, number of different animal species, doing phase one, phase two, phase three, and then emergency use authorization. You mm-hmm. couldn't have done that in less than a year, if this was just some completely unknown, untested, poorly, if at all understood modality Mm -hmm. platform for putting stuff into people.
0: Yeah. Um, Vaccines are
1: way too important. Vaccines are way too important to license or even emergency use authorize something which is 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 going to cause problems in people.
0: Yeah. No thank you for really putting a spotlight on that because I think that's an important thing uh, for people to understand that this is not this is this is something new but in terms of science and research it's something that we've been working on for a long time and the extremity of the need allowed it to get introduced in this way and the effectiveness of the Pfizer and the Moderna I understand is in about 90%, which is incredibly good. And it also seems, I've I've read that for the delta variant, it also seems to inhibit virus shedding. Is that accurate, also?
1: Yeah. So remember what vaccines do in general. We don't even need to think about the variants, just think about SARS-2. We know that vaccines reduce the key wish, which is the likelihood that people will end up in hospital and die. So that's the big win with the vaccine. Big win takes uh, the lion's share, 99.5% of people out of hospital. It's really impressive what it does Now, it doesn't stop us being infected. This is why we have these breakthrough infections in people who have been vaccinated. But even if we get this breakthrough infection, and even if we have a variant like, as you said, the Delta, which is a little bit better at replicating, it still reduces the overall amount of virus produced in a person because you've got the immune system that can fight against it. Now, then back to this stochastic random transmission. If it keeps you out of the hospital, keeps you out of intensive care, um, but you can still get infected, but you don't produce as much virus, then the likelihood of you transmitting it to the next person is much, much lower. And again, it's not zero, but it's much lower. And again, it's also context dependent. So for example, if you're living in a place where the vaccine uptake is very very low you're more likely as a person who has been doubly vaccinated who is a little bit infectious you're more likely to run into somebody and then see that infection and if that person has right so that that ups that
0: 10% that you could still get it because of yes. your environment yeah. is more toxic yes.
1: yeah this is way. where you have to understand that vaccines is not just about you right mhm if it was just about you and you were protected and you didn't end up in hospital and you didn't get infected, then that would stop those chains of transmission. But the more people who are vaccinated, the less likely that virus is going to be circulating in the community. And there are some people who just can't be vaccinated. There's people at the minimum, sure. well, some of the kids, right? Yes, yeah, kids, not people with kids.
0: Uh, auto... Autoimmune conditions. diseases,
1: people who are immune suppressed. You know, there's people who yeah. can't get vaccines. So what we want to try to do as a socially responsible, um, society is we want to try to look up after the weaker people, who can't have the luxury of getting vaccinated. So if we basically take it and we reduce the likelihood of it transmitting, then those people are more likely to be protected. And again, it's not absolute. It's not black and white, Mm -hmm. but it does reduce the likelihood. And again, anything that reduces the likelihood, like for example, putting a mask on, if you're in an environment where you don't know the vaccination status of a lot of people, whenever we have the Delta variant circulating in, in Pittsburgh and all the places in the states that's just good that's just common sense yeah
0: I was I was I had to be at an airport over this weekend and even though I'm double vaccinated I had my N95 on because there's yep. hundreds and hundreds of people and nobody is physically distancing even though the signs are there and nobody's doing that
1: yeah and that that's the challenge with you know the honor system <laughs> um, you you have to trust people. You do, um, and if 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 the honor system, which if you look at the CDC's guidelines, the CDC's guidelines are guidelines. You can interpret them um, tightly or loosely, and if you want license to do whatever you want, you can use the CDC's guidelines pretty much to give you the license to have a large group of people inside with unknown vaccination status and as someone who might want to be in that organization or that that gathering, for want of a better term, it then becomes a question of what message do I, as someone who knows how viruses transmit, what message do I uh, send by not what I believe to do the responsible thing is putting on a mask in that environment because there could be someone who is asymptom- asymptomatically infected, mm-hmm. someone who hasn't been vaccinated in a place where social distancing is not either possible to adhere to or not simply adhered to. And that's the tension that we have, right? Yes. So we, we we wanna we we want to live at the moment as normal of a life as possible, but we also want to be cognizant of the fact that there isn't a pandemic ongoing. So this idea that one week we have social distancing, one week um, we wear masks and everyone is expected to wear masks. And then the next week, because the CDC says something, everything changes and we just go to no masks, no um, no. Uh, um, indication of unvaccinated people wearing masks or not wearing masks—it—it it, it seems to be a little bit, um, a little bit uh, extreme.
0: It's added of the confusion, for sure.
1: Yeah, it seems to be a little bit too much now. Whenever we get to the point where a large number of people can be in, can be vaccinated, then you begin to ask the question: How much? Burden does society have to bear for people who are mm-hmm. anti-vaccine, right? And there's a big spectrum here. And I think you have to be really careful when you think about people who don't want to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, there's people who don't want to be vaccinated ever, right? But that's not the no. That's not the majority of the, the yeah. There's definitely the
0: outliers. There,
1: there's people who want. There's people in life. I'm sure you know them in your family, who are whenever something new comes along, they're the first people to get an iPhone. Right? They want the iPhone 12 before Mm -hmm. the iPhone 12 has been even invented or created. Right? Right. And there's people in your family who are like, yeah, this is fine. I'm not. There's just people. I got my six. I'm good with it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a way of thinking about the vaccines as well. And and neither of those people are essentially wrong. You've just got people who are pushed forward, like to get stuff done, just like to jump in. And yep. there's just other people in life who are a little bit more cautious, have a little bit more questions. They're not empty.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: just like to understand. Exactly. Understand a little bit more, and they just don't jump in. And I think we have to be really careful in our conversations about the are you vaccinated or are you not vaccinated? I think we have to be really careful and respectful in the way we as a community, scientific community, public health community talk talk to folks like that um, because they have questions and those questions should be answered. You should not consider those people are not
0: exactly there, there's a whole are not genuine in their
1: questions. Yeah, mm-hmm. that they're not genuine in their questions. And I think that then that's where the media podcasts like yours, yours, scientists like me, public outreach uh mm-hmm. matters rather than just basically demonizing or throwing everyone into the well, you're not vaccinated um so you're Before, obviously vaccinated. i think that's rather vaccinated. simplistic yeah it
0: is it is uh, what would you say to somebody who is one of those uh, more cautious people who feels okay i am not gonna i'm not gonna do this till the fda says it's okay and mm-hmm. um do you do you think that that's actually been a barrier to getting more people vaccinated that they seem to be slow walking this and why is that happening that's i think three questions
1: um so what would i say to that person i would say i can i understand that you might want to only take a license to fully licensed vaccine what i would say is just be careful where you go if you've taken that decision because the delta variant is is not a joke um and I don't know what television stations you watch at the moment, but I think more and more what we're getting to see is folks who for some either really spurious reasons, you know, people who just believe that Bill Gates was trying to microchip them right down to I'm not sure about just this. Just called maybe, your cell phone. Maybe it's uh yeah, maybe it's a, um maybe there's a, an issue with sterility or what happens if I have um, been treated for, um, or for cancer and I'm taking tamoxifen or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. There's people that have really good questions yeah. there. Um, I think that you should be, you should be um, if, if you're in that group of individuals, you should just be a little bit careful because as we see folks come on the news, who haven't taken vaccines for a wide range of reasons and they have got infected with SARS-2 and have had COVID and have been in the hospital. I just find that I'm seeing a lot more people in the mainstream media who virtually look as if they have PTSD, having seen death in front of them having seen their daughter and their wife and having been for 14 days in in a really serious uh condition those people realize why they maybe should have got vaccinated so i think as more of those folks say you know what i wasn't stupid i just did it for this reason and I didn't take the vaccine and maybe I shouldn't have walk, gone down that, that, that insidious trail on Facebook that one click leads to another click leads right. to another click leads to another click. And you end up in super bad places very quickly on the internet yes, where the, the information is not valid. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that those are the people who I admire who are able to say, you know what, I didn't make a good choice. And I think that that will help bring some of the cautious individuals uh, along the road to taking the vaccines. Again, remember, medical science has no interest in licensing something that's not safe. It just doesn't make any sense. These are big companies with many other products. Mm -hmm. And Johnson & Johnson or um, Pfizer or Moderna, they don't want to put their name to something that is unsafe, right? Because they want to do more than COVID vaccines.
0: Right. They do more
1: than COVID vaccines.
0: So what you're saying is even though they may be exempt from liabilities in this case, It would be incredibly damaging to their name and their brand if they were associated with lots and lots of death. So why would they do that?
1: Yeah. I mean, economically, just practically, if you look at it, why would J&J want to destroy its really good name? Yeah, on the back of an emergency use vaccine that's going to make them some money, but in the mm-hmm. grand scheme of the money that J&J make, it's not yeah, going no. to be. and what,
0: why would you want to kill off your customer base? It yes. just makes no sense yes. at all.
1: Yes, and and, and, <laughs> and I think that there's another non-MRNA has been tested. We under, understand what MRNA is. We understand how to deliver I think it's a completely different way, completely different argument. Uh, to give people as to why these vaccines can be trusted. The other thing that we need to think about is the there's many more vaccines than just a coronavirus vaccine. And if we as a society and as a government and as an FDA license or give emergency use authorization, to something that is that is not well rigorously tested using all of the standard approved ways to test a vaccine. And something really major goes wrong because something was not done well. That's gonna undermine people's confidence in the papillomavirus vaccine and the measles vaccine and the mumps vaccine and the rubella vaccine and the shingles vaccine and the... um, flu vaccine right and all of those vaccines reduce the burden of disease so much that again it would be very illogical for the government to undermine all of those vaccines on the back of a SARS 2 vaccine for for COVID-19 it it just doesn't make an awful lot of sense if you think
0: it through Mm -hmm. so um another thing that uh, another fear that people have, and this is slightly more controversial, um, but some people are afraid of getting side effects from the vaccine. And uh, there's, there's again, a lot of uh, interesting chatter out there about that sort of thing. And as we were talking earlier uh, before the show, correlation is not causation, but um, there, This is actually being monitored to see if this is legitimate or not, is that correct? And where is it being monitored and how could somebody participate with uh, gathering that data?
1: So what you have to remember is clinical trials are big, but they're not enormous. Mm -hmm. So we start with phase one clinical trials, maybe hundreds of people, phase two clinical trials Uh, thousands of people, phase three clinical trials, 40,000 or so uh, individuals. And then we get this emergency use authorization. But the oversight of vaccine adverse events doesn't stop at that point. After a vaccine is licensed or after a vaccine is given emergency use, it gets given to millions of people. and, And there's an awful lot of people who have had the SARS-2 vaccines. And there's a system in place called the uh, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. It's run by the CDC, and anyone can submit a report to that system General general public individual who will say, um, let's start at the easy place. Um, My arm was really sore and I had such chills and it lasted for two days, right? Mm -hmm. That was me whenever I got vaccinated. I could report that as an adverse event to that system And the people who are looking at the system would say, yeah, um, that's really interesting. All of those things were seen in the phase one and two and three clinical trial, right? So they know that that's just the normal reactogenicity where my body is showing that it's actually making antibodies. It's responding to that foreign object, which has been injected into me. And the vaccine is doing which the vaccine what the vaccine should do, which is generate antibodies in me. Now, that's the simple way to think about an adverse event. But sometimes people experience different events. And whenever millions and millions of individuals are getting vaccinated, a system like that allows patterns, correlations to be made. And if more and more individuals begin to report more and more of the similar type of adverse events, then that's a great way after licensure or after emergency use for CDC and individuals who are checking that vaccines are safe are able to say, let's take a closer look at this. Let's go back to the clinical trials. Let's talk to the people who know. Let's begin to process whether or not this actually might be something which is caused by the vaccine. But remember, there's an awful lot of science has to be done before you're able to say that unusual adverse event was caused by the vaccine. Because there's many different um, explanations. So, for example, um, if I get vaccinated and I eat pizza that evening, there's no relationship between me eating pizza and getting vaccinated. And if you get vaccinated and you eat pizza, that's still two people who have eaten pizza, but there's no and that's both a but the vaccine didn't cause me me or you to eat a pizza. Right, no,
0: it caused right? me to avoid pizza.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, and that's just that that's correlation, right? Right. But if the the vaccine causes a sore arm, causes fevers, because that's what we know whenever we inject uh, mm-hmm. the that the. A, a Moderna, Pfizer, uh, J&J, A Z vaccine into people because those are the sorts of things that happen whenever people get vaccinated with uh, influenza vaccine. Even though it's a different sort of vaccine, it still is a vaccine. It's still a foreign body going into your into you, designed to raise an immune response. So, so that's a really important thing to to understand. Um, the government, CDC, the research community, virologists, vaccinologists nobody has any interest in, in, in sweeping things like that under the carpet. It's way, way more important to know. And those are the sorts of things that percolate up whenever you vaccinated millions of people. And, and what's really interesting is there are certain things which are, you know, appearing like some fact some issues with the the, um, the heart, for example. I've seen some of the
0: things about the cardiac stuff, yeah.
1: And, and that's where the AstraZeneca, they take a look at it. They say, okay, we're not going to give this. I think it's 40-year-olds or 30-year-olds in the mm-hmm. UK don't get that anymore. That's just good practice, right? That's just that's just normal. That's the systems doing what the systems were designed to do, which is keep us all safe. But if they're so designed not to take some intervention and move it forward. So the easiest way to not have an adverse event would be not to get a vaccine. Mm-hmm. But then you take your chance with the virus and you know mm-hmm. taking your chance with long COVID, intubation, ICU, and a
0: death. Yeah, and, and lasting side effects for people yes. who recover from it. Yeah, so we get exactly. to, to this personal present. risk
1: assessment again. Exactly, and that's where it's really hard And where I am really sympathetic to people because it's really hard to do those personal risk assessments, right? Yeah, it is. Which is why I think one of the the mantras that is worth saying Mm -hmm. and it is worth repeating, with vaccines, it's always more risky to get the disease than it is to get the vaccine. That's a really important thing to understand. It is always more risky to get the disease than it is to get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Whether it be measles or mumps or rubella or flu or SARS coronavirus two, it's always more risky to get the disease than it is to get the vaccine.
0: And I think I think that is the perfect message to end this interview on, uh, Doctor Dupre. Is there anything else you want to say before we sign off for today?
1: No, it's been nice to chat with you. I hope uh, it opens the door to a little bit about how we think. Um, but I think that's kind important. of what that's kind of what I'm
0: hoping for too, and that that you will share it. You, the listeners right here, right now, are going to share this with your fellow practitioners, uh, patients, clients, family, whoever you think needs to hear this. Uh, Doctor Dupre, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for making time to. Talk to me today, and to the audience here at Body Talk. Thank you. That wraps it up for this episode of Body Talk. I'm your host, David Lasondak. Thank you so much for listening. Just a reminder, we're on summer hiatus until September, but I will be dropping some. special episodes and tidbits throughout the month of august not going to leave you hanging just like this episode remember if you enjoyed it share it if you have comments questions suggestions for shows that you'd like to hear here on body talk you can dm me via social media you can email me like let's get kind of old school you can email me at david at gmail.com and as always the outro music is we are in love by david and the disasters available on spotify thanks a lot see you next time on body talk where we explore your inner universe